This is The Feed with Amber Mack and Michael B. on Canada Talks, Sirius XM 167. Hello and welcome to The Feed with Amber Mack. And Michael B. for everything new now and next. We have you covered for what's happening in the world of tech and what's trending online. On the show, what you need to know about the future of Huawei. Plus, why Amazon wants workers to try a 3D body scan. Also on the show, how a super awesome AI tool can tell when a kid is surfing the internet. And we tell you how you could win $100,000 for your small business. That's all coming up right here on The Feed with Amber Mack and Michael B. Trending on. Well, it's been a big week, especially for Toronto. The world has descended, Amber, on Toronto, Canada. Yeah, absolutely. The fastest growing technology conference in North America just took place in Toronto. They had more than 25,000 attendees, more than 1,000 startups. This event for the past couple of years has been in New Orleans, but now Toronto is the host city for the next three years. So some pretty exciting speakers and panels and news that came out of that event. We'll talk about some of the stuff a little bit later on, but probably the biggest news in technology, let's face it, guys, this week is is all about Huawei. Yeah, it certainly was. And it's like specifically uh, a lot of different parts of the business are now under fire, I believe. Absolutely. According to a BBC article, uh, people probably have uh, heard about this news that uh, last week the Trump administration put Huawei on their entity list. This is a list that bans the company from acquiring technology from U.S. firms without government approval. This may not have been a, a big surprise to some people who have watched the relationship between Huawei and the U.S. deteriorate over the past few months. But we're also seeing in this recent news that uh, – uh, Panasonic is starting to look more closely at its relationship with Huawei and uh, just see if any issues arise based on some of these new U.S. restrictions. Uh, does it make you uh, get a little nervous uh, about the brand, Erin, um, or do you think this really is just a political play? Because obviously there was a couple of reports out uh, today, even on CNN, suggesting that um, it's more of a pawn to use uh, in regards to the trade war as opposed to really thinking that there's an actual security threat. Uh, I, I am a little skeptical of the brand, to tell you the truth. I know that uh, the bluster and the theater of trade war is often waged in the media, and sometimes the trade war itself legitimately is a lot less uh, uh, extreme as it seems. But uh, considering how many Western governments have uh, spoken out or remained cautious on this brand, it does make me a little suspect. And also, there's other brands out there. If it was a Coke versus Pepsi thing or a whatever, where there's only two brands and you got to choose one or the other, uh, you feel cornered. But with so many other brands out there, I would say stay away from this one. But it's so weird, Amber, though, don't you think? Because, like, no problem until now. They've been in business for 30 years, huge, multi-billion dollar company. Only now do people have a problem with it. And everybody else is only coming out after the U.S. said something. Nobody else has had red flags pre previously. Yeah, I mean, if, if we look at Huawei in Canada as one example, they have been uh, involved with uh, cellular infrastructure here for more than the past decade. I think one of the issues that is really uh, coming to a head right now is the reality that they they have developed smartphones over the past over the past few years that, in fact, are getting into the hands of people in this part of the world, uh, and it's becoming something where I think it, it looks like more competition as well in terms of some of the technology that Huawei has, uh, great camera, great battery life, and and all of those things. So I think all that the things we actually want. <laughs> yeah, they've become a real player. And in that case, I think that many companies are, are, or I would say also governments, particularly south of the border, are, are putting them under more scrutiny. So 
I think it's all part of just this evolution of uh, their prevalence uh, in this part of the world. No, for sure. Well, there is something cool that we do want to tell you guys about, and it's um, the Ford company has actually developed a robot to help deliver parcels, and it's called um, uh, Dig It. Now, um, this is creepy if you've seen the video. So it it is um, two. It's a it's it's an actual looks like a person, like two leg legged robot jumps out of a, a back of a car, holding a package, and walks it to the door. Um, this is crazy. I don't know if you would want to go to, to go to the door to answer because it would scare you in the morning. But I mean, it's coming. I just have to chuckle, and, and Aaron will appreciate this. And I don't know the answer to this at all. But the name of the robot is oh, D-I-G-I-T, which you know you would assume is digital. So it, it might be digit versus right. digit. Oh, when but... I say digit, well, I say I do dig it because <laughs> it's like digit. I was confused. I was like, should I say digit or dig it? Aaron, can you put together a compilation of all of Michael's sort of uh, uh, mispronunciations? Oh, of the, like every word imaginable. Yeah, there's so many. <laughs> It'd be an entire episode. No, this is kind of a, an interesting thing. We're seeing this more and more in terms of robots for delivery. And uh, I think that this is something that will be a reality in some neighborhoods uh, that do have the infrastructure in place. I mean, it's not as though the technology as far as robots and self-driving cars isn't here today. I think the issue we face is just lacking that infrastructure because so many of our cities are so old. So you could see these types of technologies going to places like new campuses of, of higher education where they perhaps have just created new infrastructure or new neighborhoods or subdivisions. So I think it's one of those situations where it may not be in your city in the near right. future, but they're def definitely testing these out. My only question though with it is, is it really that economically cheaper for um, autonomous vehicles and the actual robots delivering, just given the parts and the, um, you know, all of the things that can go wrong in the actual delivery system? I don't know. No, I just I just don't know. It's that comes back to that question of is it needed or not? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think that this is just a natural evolution from the uh, e-commerce world that we're in right now where so many people are shopping. And I think they have to figure out delivery in a better way where it really is able to meet the demand of how much people are actually shopping online. Now, this is kind of a, a funny story. This is about Amazon. And according to Business Insider, they are offering people $25 gift cards in exchange for taking 3D scans of their bodies. Now, this isn't uh, just workers at Amazon who could have a chance to participate in this. This is really just anyone. And uh, according to this article, they say that one of the reasons that they're doing this is they're trying to uh, better understand how clothes fit uh, when shoppers are shopping for clothes. And this would give them a chance to do just that. Uh, I don't know if I would scan my body and give all of that data to Amazon for a $25 gift card. I think maybe <laughs> you need to raise your rates a little bit, people. I was going to say, what, so what, what is the price? Uh, Aaron, would you do it for a hundred bucks? <laughs> a hundred buck gift card? Well, that uh, sounds a bit sweeter than 25. I don't know. Wow. Do you guys have a high price? I'd do it for 25. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess it only takes 30 minutes. So for some people, you know, a $25 gift card may be something that uh, they do appreciate. Uh, but uh, uh, I do think it's uh, it's one of those situations where no matter how they cut it, you know, any large tech company doing anything like this and yeah. not necessarily paying people uh, what I, I would say, uh, you know, a premium for showing up and doing this, I think will always get criticized. Unfortunately, that's just the world that we live in. Certainly is for sure. Now, when we return, a smarter way to protect your kids online. 
The Feed with Amber Mack and Michael B. For everything new, now, and next on Canada Talks, Sirius XM 167. In the Spotlight. You're listening to The Feed with Amber Mack and Michael B. Keeping your kids safe online has become even easier thanks to a new product released by Super Awesome. Its Kid Switch technology can detect whether a user is under 13 or an adult and actually switch into kid tech mode when online, which is pretty cool. Now, to actually explain how the devil that actually works is Dylan Collins. He's the CEO of Super Awesome, and he's joining us now. Hi, Dylan. Hi, guys. Nice to be with you today. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Now, this is an area that Amber is very well versed in, and it's exceptionally important to a lot of our listeners out there. So first of all, before we get into the new product uh, that you guys have released, uh, Kids Switch, let's start off with Super Awesome. What's the goal of the company that you set out to achieve? Sure. So we started Super Awesome about six years ago to build technology to make it safer for companies to interact with children. So today our products are used by hundreds of companies around the world, some of the biggest names you know, like Disney and and, and folks like that, to safely engage with children. So it powers things like messaging and video and all those other functionalities whilst keeping kids completely safe and keeping them completely anonymous online. So we first heard about this new technology over this past week at uh, Collision, and the idea being, of course, that you're using artificial intelligence to tell who is browsing the web. So let's talk a little bit about how this actually works, and uh, let's talk as well about how we used to do this in terms of having those little pop-ups that would ask how old someone was who was browsing, and maybe a new way that this is done thanks to your company. Sure. So I think, you know, anyone who has kids is probably pretty familiar with those pop-ups. So often, you know, a child might go to a site or an app or something like YouTube. And historically, the only way to figure out if they were a child or an adult was you had to ask them. And surprise, surprise, kids often lie about their age in terms of wanting to get hold of, of content that they want to see. Now, our technology looks at how the user is interacting with the content and how, uh, or how they're interacting with the physical device. And it puts together a lot of those different signals, and then it matches it with our extremely large database of user behavior to automatically detect whether that user is a child or whether that user looks like an adult. So it's, it's using this artificial intelligence behind the scene to come to this conclusion, and then it will automatically shift the app or the site into child mode or back into adult mode. Well, so, and this is a very important um, element and feature that you have because my understanding is um, for all of the social media platforms and platforms that have content, it's exceptionally difficult for them because of all of the different rules and regulations from a government perspective around the world. There's a lot of different uh, digital privacy laws that make it illegal to track children or collect their data. Um, and, they're, and, you know, we kind of get into that data harvesting mode and they're struggling to keep up. So basically, you're saying that this technology kind of um, sits and, and is aligned with the, um, the government regulations and actually solving that problem and ensuring that that data and the way that you're doing it is also protected. That's exactly right. I think one of the biggest challenges today is that the Internet as we know it was simply never built for children. It was only ever designed 
with the assumption that adults were going to use it. So, you know, most of the technology that is used in apps and sites and, and digital services, you know, they, they never really think about the needs of children in terms of digital privacy, in terms of appropriate content, or really anything like that. So I think it's pretty fair to call this technology really sort of the next generation of what the Internet is turning into. Today, children are the fastest growing online audience in the world. Um, About 170,000 children will go online for the first time every single day. So, you know, things like age gates and, and sort of sticking plaster type solutions just don't work. We've got to get to a point where this technology is integrated into every app, into every site, so that it can automatically detect the child and make sure that they're not seeing the wrong kind of content, make sure that their personal data isn't being captured and shared with everyone else. So this really is what the future of the Internet looks like. So whose responsibility is it? Is it the responsibility of the app or social network? Does it become a responsibility of the companies that make browsers? Who is it up to to contact you and say, you know what, we need to figure out how to work together to solve this problem? Well, that's a great question. I mean, today you've got more and more laws that are being put in place by various governments around the world. Um, and even across into Asia as well, which is making it the responsibility of the publishers, so the actual owners of the apps, who have to put in place um, technology, have to put in place kid tech to support young audiences. So more and more, you know, we are seeing this awareness of children and this responsibility towards uh, children's digital well-being expand beyond just kids' companies and, and all of the brands that you would know, and more and more into sort of general audience platforms and brands which you wouldn't necessarily associate with children who are all realizing that they have to put deliberate uh, measures in place to deal with this new, young, rapidly emerging audience online. Um, so it, it's, it's a combination of all of these forces. I would say it's probably one of the, the few sectors that you know, government action around the world is really driving forward progress in terms of protection online, because it's, it's definitely been an area that Silicon Valley in general has just ignored. It's interesting you say that from a technology perspective, because I guess that is my question. This doesn't necessarily, um, you know, stay within the, the kid tech kind of area. This has a lot of applications in, in a lot of other areas. And that's right. And, you know, it's a conversation that we often um, find ourselves in, and particularly when parents realize that, you know, there are now laws that are putting in place this level of privacy for children. One of the first questions they ask is, this is amazing. Can I have that too? And I I, I really think, you know, uh, over the next sort of five or 10 years, all of this activity that's happening in the children's space around digital privacy is going to lead to more widespread changes in the adult space because I don't think anyone, if they had the choice of having their personal data harvested and have everything follow them around the internet, if they had a choice in being able to turn that off reliably everywhere, I think a lot of people would be very, very interested in that. So I think that, you know, although it comes as a surprise to many when I say this, I really think that it's children who are the ones that are going to be disrupting Facebook and Google and all of these big tech companies over the next few years as they totally transform how the Internet is used into something that's much more privacy and safety based. 
Well, listen, thank you so much for joining us today and good luck with this venture. I'm sure uh, a lot of parents who are listening are excited that companies like yours are out there protecting kids. So thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Up next, we're going to twist it a little bit. We're going to look at a new dating app for private school kids, but we're talking about grown-ups, guys. Don't worry. The Feed with Amber Mack and Michael B. For everything new, now, and next on Canada Talks, Sirius XM 167. app Welcome back to The Feed with Amber Mack and Michael B. It's time now to take a look at some new apps. But first of all, I wanted to let you guys know about a contest for small business owners and entrepreneurs, obviously a growing group in the Canadian population. So I recently was doing some work with TELUS, and once again, they are launching the TELUS Pitch. This is a competition that uh, allows any small business owner in Canada, excluding Quebec, to create a video that is 60 seconds or less and then share that video with TELUS. You have to send in your video by June 23rd at midnight and you will have a chance to win a $100,000 prize. There are also other prizes. There's even a social voting element that takes place. And then July 30th, they're going to announce the winner. So I would argue that for a 60-second investment, the chances of winning $100,000 is probably worth your time. It's also going to make a huge difference to anybody who is running their own um, small business because that kind of money can go a very long way. So a, a really great initiative from TELUS. Um, let's get to it, Amber. Lots of apps ahead. I feel like we've got a winner out of these three, but we'll find out if Aaron agrees. All right. Uh, so before I mention that, I just want to say uh, if you have to or you want to check out the uh, TELUS pitch, you can go to telus.com slash pitch. Uh, okay. So let's jump into our apps of the week. So we have a few apps. Uh, the first one is one for people who love to take photos. It's called Vignette. And the idea, it's an app that uh, keeps your iOS content contact photos up to date. So it's not just photos you're taking on your phone, but more specifically, the photos of people who are contacts on your iPhone. This is really cool because I think, you know, even though I'm an Android user, I have used iPhone before. And in the past, I think that was something that's always frustrating in your contact list if you don't have pictures of those people, because that helps obviously when they're calling to understand who it is and all those other things that are important when you're busy and on the go. It's also, a, and I don't know if you, you get this, but it's like you meet so many people all of the time and I, I instantly put them into my phone and, um, and all their details. I don't really do cards or anything like that. And um, it is very handy, um, just the sheer volume of people that you meet every day, just remembering and recognizing them. Um, so having that photo element is always very handy because I have accidentally, you know, halfway through a conversation only clicked who I'm talking to, but they're talking to like, you saw them yesterday. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. it's a little awkward. <laughs> and it's cool. So what they do is uh, they will search Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Gravatar. You don't even have to log into those services. And uh, Vignette will attempt to pair your contacts with uh, profile pictures of those people on social media. Aaron, I know you're an iPhone user. Would you use something like this? Yeah, totally. I think this is a, a, it's a good kind of app where it shows a, a convenient shortcut for a problem you didn't even know existed, but it makes sense. Uh, do you know what I mean? Like uh, I have too many conversations 
conversations where it's just a two initials, first initial, last initial. And I, I too have pictures of people that could be, you know, uh, ten, 10 years old, seven years old. I have my, my, my uh, icon in my phone for my wife, to be honest, is one is an old picture of herself she doesn't like. And she did her hair a certain way. And she says, I don't even look like that picture. Change that picture. And I say, oh, you know, I like that picture. And uh, <laughs> my, my son has a phone now. And some people have uh, their picture of him when he was like a baby. When he was like a year old. He's much older than a year now. But his face shows up when he's like a baby. So, uh, yeah, I think this is a, a, a convenient, good app. Okay. Well, if you liked that app, Aaron, yes. I feel like this one you might like even more. And not that it's a competition. However, <laughs> if you weren't married to your wife... Did you go to a private school? Uh, I actually did for almost all of high school. I, I finished high school. You are eligible. Nay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you are eligible, my friend. This competition, you're already a step ahead. So nice. Coffee is the name of this new dating app for people who were privately educated. So it knows and researches, um, it shows that research, um, you know, people with similar backgrounds are more likely to stick together. So like, I know there's going to be some haters out there and they're like, oh, it's an elitist. It's this that, and the other thing. But I think that um, in all of these spaces, um, these apps are trying to differentiate themselves. And of course, um, you know, gone are the days where you walk into a bar and, you know, you talk to somebody and you spend half an hour trying to get to know them. It's just like, well, you can kind of cut through that. <laughs> and it's like, well, at least we know you're educated. You went to a private school or whatever. Or, you know, there's other dating apps with uh, <laughs> different, <laughs> different. I'm just angles, letting you like dig sports, deeper. <laughs> like, or sports or whatever it is, like, or dog lovers or whatever it is. This one is specifically <laughs> targeted at privately educated people. Go for gold, Amber. I just I, I just love listening to you because I, I just imagine uh, the tweets and emails. Uh, uh, yes. Uh, first of all, I don't think you, we can assume that private school education is always better than public school. That's not and, what the app's saying. They're just saying that you'll have I something know, more in common with each No, that's other. what you just said. I'm just trying to help you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, I think that, you know, I, again, you're right, though. I mean, there are apps like this everywhere. There are apps for people who work in really high-powered jobs. There are dating apps for people who are high-profile celebrities. I mean, we're already going this way where we live in a society that is more and more trying to uh, really, you know, people are trying to find their own little group and yeah. it could be elitist uh, or not but i don't think this is out of the norm based on what we've already seen in this space it's doing the dating homework for you so um i know that some people have negative connotations when it comes to privately educated um uh like if you were privately educated but that that's definitely not what this is so it really is trying to you know find the the personal interests and the attributes and they're obviously like trying to find like-minded people so it's the same i think we covered one on the show before and it was very much tied to your linkedin profile so it was really about your your career and your education from a university perspective and it kind of filtered you out that way um you know so um it, it's interesting i just don't know i i think that no matter no matter who you are, dating is tough no matter what, given technology and the way people communicate or, in my experience, the lack of communication because nobody really does communicate the old school way of actually talking to people. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and, and I think there are examples of communities, you know, I think about the expat community. So my husband went to school overseas, and I know in terms of a community of kids who went to international schools, I mean, they tend to be very close, and that's kind of their community. So uh, again, I think it's something that uh, is sort of a natural evolution. I did not go to private school, so unlike Aaron, I will not be able to uh, use this app if I find myself single. 
So there you go. Um, now, I, I might be able to use this app because I love pandas. <laughs> <laughs> Look, like, it's, a, it's, a, it's a scope today for you, Erin. A scope. Photos, pandas, and elite dating. I like it. That's your choice. This is super cool. So uh, this is uh, an app that uh, basically is a facial recognition app, but it's not for people. It's for pandas. So if you have trouble telling pandas apart, I don't know why you would have that problem. But they call who it, does? Who uh, doesn't? Let's be honest. It's hard it, to tell which panda is who. They call it face blindness for pandas. Then uh, what this will help you do is maybe if you're running a zoo, so a very small percentage of people, then you'll be able to actually identify the pandas if you think the pandas all look similar. And it's just hilarious and kind of adorable, too. And uh, it's uh, an interesting technology being developed uh, out of China. Yeah. Erin, what do you think? Do you want to find out which panda is Bobo? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> pandas are adorable and they are endangered I, i'm trying to think of the uh, extrapolating this technology to a larger purpose like if you uh if you if you walk down the street and you look at humans for example some are tall and some are short and some have long hair and some have short hair and some have glasses some have don't there's a lot of variation there but if the panda facial recognition works on pandas which there's a lot less variation maybe it can be extrapolated to human purposes to better sure. differentiate between humans that might look similar do you know what i mean yeah, if you're a parent with triplets. Sure. Right? Yes. <laughs> I, was gonna, I didn't want to make the joke early on. I'm like, yeah, you know, and it's hard to tell which kid's yours. And I'm like, but I can't say that because I don't have kids. <laughs> the difference between your multiples, uh, <laughs> uh, which I'm sure has happened many, many times with parents. I, I had twin friends growing up in high school. and uh, Even to this day, sometimes I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> I don't know what <laughs> That's funny. Okay, so out of those three, Aaron, because you are... You know, you're 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 a tough one. You're you're a tough critic. <laughs> Which is your favorite app? Uh, I think the uh, uh, first one, uh, vignette app for uh, updating pictures in your contact list. Okay, we well, at least we got a winner. Usually we don't. <laughs> if you've got an <laughs> app you think we should know about, of course, let us know. You can tweet all of us, uh, and specifically Amber's is at, at Amber Mac, and of course mine is at Ambankrupt. Use the hashtag to see. The Feed with Amber Mack and Michael B. For everything new, now, and next on Canada Talks, Sirius XM 167. In the Spotlight. Hey, you're listening to The Feed with Amber Mack and Michael B. Inkblot therapy uses proprietary matching algorithms to connect clients with the mental health counselors or life coaches based on user needs and preferences. Now, this is really cool because you can do it from the comforts of your own home. To share how this secure video counseling platform works is Julie Sabine. She's the chief uh, marketing officer at Inkblot Therapy and is joining us now. Hi, Julie. Hi, how are you? Good, thank you. We're very um, happy to talk with you today. This is a very serious um, uh, area. There's a lot of people um, with um, mental health issues and needing help, and your platform provides that in the comforts of uh, their own home even. So how does the actual platform work? So basically, um, like you said, uh, one in five Canadians suffer from mental health issues, and only one-third actually get the help they need. So we set up Inkblot to make counseling completely accessible and as affordable as possible. So what happens is a client um, hops online, fills out a short questionnaire, and based on that, they're matched with a therapist 
um, according to their needs and their preferences. And then, as you said, counseling takes place from the comfort of home via completely secure video. Um, we've made it, ha- it's half the cost of the national average for um, counseling. And we're able to do that because we've automated all the sort of administration that happens. So counselors are able to provide therapy and just provide therapy. They don't need to worry about all the admin or overhead. Tell us a little bit in terms of uh, some of the struggles that people go through when they're trying to find a therapist, because I would imagine that there are time constraints, there are financial barriers. So what makes this in terms of it being a more comfortable approach to therapy? Oh, absolutely. It's very difficult to find a therapist, Um, especially we don't have a mental health care um, public program, really, that's easy to access. So if you were to be suffering from depression and anxiety, which is so common, um, so, so common in our society, um, and you were to go to your doctor looking for a therapist, you know, they might know someone, but that's not necessarily someone that's going to be a good fit. And even when you are finding someone in person, um, there's travel time, there's finding a babysitter, there's, um, it's just, it's costly and it's not always convenient. Um, So we wanted to take away all those barriers and just make it as easy as possible to get therapy. Um, I mean, also when you are struggling with mental health issues, it can be very hard to get out of bed, let alone actually book an appointment. Um, The other thing I already mentioned was the whole compatibility thing. Um, So we, what we do is not only do we match people, but we, um, we provide the first session free so that clients can make sure that the, they can work with the counselor and vice versa. Um, And if that doesn't work, fine, we'll find you another therapist. We want Canadians to know that just because maybe you don't have the right fit with the first therapist, there are other people available. And when you find the right fit, it is so effective. And so how do you go about curating the the mental health professionals on the platform and screening them just for peace of mind for, um, you know, clients and and, um, patients coming to the platform? Well, absolutely. That's very important. And and not only that, um, just to mention that we do provide um, empl- like employ- workplace mental health programs. So the employers always need to know that our therapists are, um, you know, that they're qualified and experienced. So what we do is um, we are across Canada, so we make sure that all our social workers, psychologists, and psychotherapists and counselors are a member of their colleges there that, you know, make sure that they've met all the educational requirements, the clinical hours, the supervision hours, and the experience to be a member of that college. And then we personally interview everyone. Plus, on top of that, before every client has an inter- or has a session, um, they fill out a self-assessment, um, a well-being self assessment they do the same assessment afterwards and if we're finding that certain therapists you know aren't effective they won't be in they will not match in the algorithm so it's interesting again to think about how you're filling this need we have seen some other services that are a bit similar to what you are trying to offer so what do you think it is that sets your company apart from some of those other offerings that are trying very aggressively to break into this space 
Yes. Um, well, in Canada, it's a little different. It's funny. We were just, we've been at Collision as you have all week and we've talked to so many people and, and a lot of Americans who, um, you know, we've been talking about the mental health issues arise, especially amongst entre- entrepreneurs. And, um, you know, a lot of people said to us, oh, well, you know, what makes you different from BetterHelp or Talkspace? Because we're actually the only people doing it in Canada, this video counseling um, and the matching. And we are similar to them, but however, our vetting process is much different. I don't know if you've heard about, um, you know, some of the controversy going on with with BetterHelp, but, um, you know, you do need to make sure that your counselors are qualified and experienced. So we do that by personally vetting them. Not only that, we're not a subscription model. We're a model where you come to us and we're as close to traditional therapy as possible, except that it is via video and that we do provide the free sessions to make sure, the first free session to make sure you're completely compatible with your therapist. You're not just going with, you know, I've got to just go with that person. No, we're finding the right person for you um, and you pay when it works. And so where would you like to um, take the platform? What's next for it from a development perspective and and a product offering in the features? Yes, well... um... We, we, yes, we want to take it very far, but we've got, there's so many things we can do with this because of the need for mental health. And we are at, you know, sort of people are really understanding the need for this. Um, And so we've had so much interest and it's, uh, yeah, there's so many places we can go. But what we are, what we are doing, like I mentioned before, is we work with a lot of tech companies in um, Toronto right now, providing their employees with mental health help. So you have those employees that, you know, they can't come to work. So um, it's costing the business quite a bit of money. Um, And when they are at work, they're not very productive. And, and, you know, employers aren't therapists. They shouldn't be um, responsible for taking care of people who have mental health health issues. They need to see someone, a professional. So we're moving into that space so that we can take care of these employees. Um, We also... Um, because we're half the cost, um, we pay our therapists half the cost, but we have developed a full practice management system for them. So it's our way of giving back to them. They can run their whole practice on Inkblot, provide um, therapy to Inkblot clients, but their own clients through our complete practice management system that has the calendar, the payment system, everything. So it's our way of giving back to them. So that is something that we've also launched. Um, and yes, so we, um, I'm, I'm, we have so much going on, but those two things we're really focusing on to make sure that they work really well and that we're able to just specifically work and stay focused on those two priorities. Uh, just before we let you go for people who are listening right now, just remind them where they can check out, uh, your company online and just an average price in terms of getting started. Absolutely. So um, please do check us out. It's www.inkblottherapy.com. So that's inkblottherapy.com. You can go in there and you can set up your free session. You can book it with your counselor once you've been matched and you don't pay until you've found the right counselor. And when you do, it's $75 for an hour session. And that is covered by private health insurance. And 60% of Canadians have 
health benefits through their workplace. So you do have, you sh- if you are working, check out your benefits because you do have mental health coverage and you'll get double the sessions with Inkblot because we're half the price. Um, and for employers that are looking for help with their mental health initiatives, you don't have to do it on your own. We're here. And if you do go to the inkblottherapy.com website, you'll see business there. Just click on there and contact us. Um, we're absolutely here to help. Excellent. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Amber. And I'm really glad that you guys are highlighting this since it's so important, especially in the tech world. Thanks very much. And up next, an app to help determine the best days to get pregnant. The Feed with Amber Mack and Michael B. For everything new, now and next on Canada Talks, Sirius XM 167. Tech Star. You're listening to The Feed with Amber Mack and Michael B. There are many different ways that technology is helping to improve health care. Ava Science helps women precisely identify their five most fertile days per month to assist when trying to get pregnant. Joining us now is Ava co-founder Leah Von Bidar. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So explain to us how this works and the science behind how you're actually giving women more data at their fingertips. Absolutely. So Ava really is a new and precise method for women to track their menstrual cycle. Imagine something almost like, you know, any other wearable tracker that you wear, but you only wear it during the night. It tracks different physiological signals, such as breathing rate, perfusion, and others continuously throughout the night. And with those parameters, we actually get the chance to basically non-invasively understand the hormonal changes during the menstrual cycle, and we can detect the fertile window in real time. So what the science does is really that we have completely new parameters that are fingertips and other technology that we can use to understand menstrual cycles. And so how important is it and how precise is the data? Because I understand, uh, uh, limited understanding, um, uh, from like the old school methods of always checking your temperature and and to find out if you're pregnant, you're just peeing on a stick and and all these things that, um, but but what you're saying is um, that this this tracking system um, keeps your vitals and all of the things that need to be considered when trying to get pregnant all in one place and working out what is working and what isn't working and then change um, things to kind of help give you the best uh, ability to get pregnant? Is that my understanding? Exactly. Um, look, I mean, why this important is for a lot of couples when they're trying to get pregnant, they assume it's going to go really fast. I think that's what we've seen in Hollywood over and over again. So we all have the expectation that we're going to get pregnant within one, two or three months. And the reality is for a lot of couples, it takes a little longer than that. And that's also completely normal. But you can definitely increase your chances of conceiving when you, you know, get your timing right. So in general, you only have six days per menstrual cycle where you can get pregnant. 70% of pregnancies happen within a three-day window during the menstrual cycle. So it's really important to get the timing right. And a lot of the methods that have been out there, and you mentioned the temperature method, where you really basically take your temperature every single morning, even on weekends at the same time, they have been really difficult and antiquated for women because temperature, as an example, only increases once those three days are over and doesn't react in real time. So the science behind our product really is that we found parameters that react much earlier in the menstrual cycle and therefore can really give you in real time an indication now is when your fertile window starts. 
if we could show that we can basically detect five out of your six fertile days with an almost 90% accuracy in real time. Amazing. You know, I'd love if you could just talk through uh, how many women you've been able to help and just the feedback from women who are trying to get pregnant, just so people can understand, uh, again, you know, how how, uh, life-changing this time is when women are trying to figure out and trying to conceive, and it's not always as easy as people expect. Yeah, it unfortunately isn't. Um, we don't really communicate how many women we're, we're working with, but what we are tracking is pregnancies, which is really basically the best outcome for us um, anyways. So we've recently reached 20,000 pregnancies with our product, which we're absolutely excited about. And we actually see around 50 more pregnancies announced each day um, for users that have our product, um, which is which is super exciting and nice for us. And so what other elements or features uh, or uh, developing the product are you looking at rolling out or or developing even further? I love that you're asking that question. Um, And I think it gives me the opportunity to say why we're even doing this. We really believe that women's health research has led women down in many different areas of women's health. So really be it from trying to conceive to contraception, but also through, through menopause and pregnancy. There's so many areas that are basically unsolved and women still don't have the solutions they, they really need for their health needs. And we really believe in, you know, adding clinical research and digital health to all of those different areas. And we hope that we can close the gaps that we very much see within women's health um, with digital health and artificial intelligence. So what that means in a bit more clear terms is we are right now running a lot of clinical trials and have a lot of clinical trials planned in different other areas of women's health to monitor and detect um, different potential issues in, in other areas of women's health. That's fantastic. And so where can people go to get more information about um, the, the product and, and everything that you guys are doing? Yes, so our product is exclusively available online in Canada at this point. Um, And so it's ablewomen.com where everyone can learn about the product in more detail. That's fantastic. Well, thank you very much for everything that you're doing. And thank you very much for joining us today. Sure, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Coming up, an app to help with unwanted attention on the trains in Japan. The feed with Amber Mack and Michael B. For everything new, now, and next on Canada Talks, Sirius XM 167. Socially Speaking. It's time now for Socially Speaking, and this week we are going to talk about a story that has been trending online. It's about an app called Stop It uh, that is an app that was created by a police force uh, in Japan that is helping women identify if there are issues while they are commuting on trains and subways with groping. So apparently in that country, this is a real issue in terms of very crowded spaces and women unfortunately, getting touched in ways they do not want to be touched. And this app will allow them to essentially send out an SOS message alerting people nearby. um, And that message will be a silent message. But if things get uh, to be even more severe and the potential uh, person who is being touched wants to actually make sure the person backs off who is uh, uh, touching them, then they're able to send out a loud alarm, uh, essentially in 
embarrassing that person in front of a group of passengers. So uh, an interesting way to use technology, it has been downloaded more than 237,000 times, according to The Guardian. And uh, it appears as though um, it has become quite popular, about 10,000 people a month who are accessing it. And uh, it's helping to record a a number of cases of groping and uh, just help women feel more empowered. Now, I'm really sorry, but those stats are exceptionally alarming. They may not sound like large numbers, but even one is not okay. But just thousands, um, you know, that's that's pretty crazy, especially in the, the, the times that we live in. Uh, what's interesting, though, it's just like um, that Japan has actually had for a couple of decades now women-only train carriages that they introduced. So I think that's more two things, a comment on society that that's actually needed, which is horrific. Uh, but two, um, you know, at least authorities and people are seeing that there is an issue and then trying to actually um, help and do something about it. So hopefully um, this app does actually help not only stop it, but um, end up preventing it. Hopefully this like scares people into doing the right thing and not doing something that's completely, um, you know, against the law. Yeah, I mean, I found one of the most fascinating parts of this story is that uh, the police department uh, were the ones who initiated and, and helped to bring this uh, uh, to the public. And and I actually did an interview on this uh, with Evan Solomon from CFRA in Ottawa yesterday. And I was saying to him, he was saying, well, why don't we see more technology like this? And uh, if you think about investment into new technology companies and apps, uh, we all know the stories about uh, the reality that... Uh, uh, such a small percentage of the companies that are invested in are founded by women. And, you know, I think oftentimes it's women who come up with these ideas. And, and this is kind of the storyline we hear over and over again. But here you have law enforcement using this great new technology to help out uh, the citizens. So I just think it's it's really cool to see this. Uh, Aaron, you probably take uh, public transport transportation more than any of us. And uh, I think, you know, I was asked this yesterday, but I think this is maybe less of a problem here in Toronto. Um, probably just due to, you know, even though we think the TTC is a crowded space, uh, nothing like what we see in parts of Japan. Yeah, uh, I it, it surprises me that uh, this app is still needed in Japan, despite the introduction of women only carriages. But uh, yeah, it, I don't see it as much of a problem here in when I ride the TTC in Toronto. Again, someone can point out the fact and they'd be right that I'm a male riding the TTC. Maybe I'm not subject to this. And uh, maybe women riding have a different experience, just like women walking home in the dark experience it differently than I might. Um, but if if this app can help reduce the instances, I wonder if there's another um, another part of the conversation if if uh if it says the the fine and the process the the fine and the for this if it's not being prosecuted at all if you scare someone into stopping that's one thing but if the person is not brought to justice or brought to police there's another thing maybe there isn't a willingness to prosecute uh, offenders in this but the app it with its loud uh, alarm and with its loud noise hopefully if it if it helps if it helps reduce it then that can be a good thing well, I think that's the only thing that I'm a little um, kind of hesitant. I don't know how it works exactly because if you're being uh, attacked in this instance and you're too scared to say or do something, and I've been, I, I lived in Japan for two years, um, you know, you are packed in like sardines. It is quite um, unbelievable and overwhelming um, how many people during rush hour are, are packed into those uh, subway carriages. But if you're you're scared and you and you aren't um, able to voice that there's something happening. I just wonder also, um, you know, it, it, and I hate to say it, but it's also a society where you don't 
really say anything in public mm-hmm. or anything. So I just wonder how many other people, if you are notifying people around you via the app, would actually say something or stop it or, or intervene. That would be my only thing that I have. It's like, I wonder how, how much actual, um, you know, help and support comes from other people around you. Um, cause I would hope that people do. Um, but I, I just don't know. Cause I know in North America, um, you know, it, it's not as common even here for people to actually step in. And I mean, it, it's a lot better than most places in the world, but a lot of people do want to just kind of keep to themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the notification that they talk about is uh, a way to notify other women, not because they expect them to say anything, um, but instead to say, hey, there's, you know, someone on this train that's groping, so just watch your back kind of thing, right? It's more of a... It's more uh, of a cautionary. Yeah, more of a heads up that this is the situation, so be very careful about uh, what's taking place. So I think that's one reason that they do that. Um, the second part of the app, like I mentioned, allows you to uh, your your phone to make a, a really loud sound, uh, presumably scaring off the person. And uh, I, I was on the radio yesterday with Evan, and, and he was saying, well, why wouldn't you just say something? But the truth well, it's, is... It's, it's very easy for a, a guy to say yeah. that. Um, and it's like we don't, as Aaron said before, it's very different as a man walking home alone, uh, at night or riding the TTC or, and it, as I mean, I, I'm very honest to, I mean, I do sometimes do feel unsafe and I do prefer working, walking with somebody else and I am male. So. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think, you know, it also becomes, I was mentioning to him on the radio that it's also an issue of size. You know, most women are much smaller than men. So, you know, you don't really want to turn around and get in this physical confrontation with someone. So you tend to not want to have that awkward moment. So, and it feels threatening as well. So, you know, in my mind, I think this is just a, a, just a fascinating first attempt. I mean, it's sad that it happens, but clearly this is an issue in that country. And I think there are many different examples of how we can use technology to help, uh, uh, people feel safer, whether it's groping or, you know, potential issues with uh, harassment at work, whatever that might be. I think we're seeing more and more examples of how technology can help in the long run. So uh, I think it's it's an interesting use case. A step and in the right direction. It is. And, you know, hopefully we'll see more of these uh, technologies around the world. And it's great that we have access to learn about their stories and the success that they've had with it. Um, All right. Well, let us know what you think of today's show. We've had some pretty exciting topics throughout the episode. You can find us online at Amber Mac and at Bancroft 80 And please use the hashtag The Feed. This is The Feed with Amber Mac and Michael B. on SiriusXM Canada Talks Channel 167. 